Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on FM Riverside and 1050 AM You are back in the House of Mystery and uh, joining us today we have an author of Psychopaths in Our Lives and My Interviews and it's written by Diane Emerson and um, thank you for being on the show. Well thank you Al, it's nice to join you. So, psychopaths in our lives, um, uh, do we have a lot of them? <laughs> uh, well, you know, that's an interesting question because statistically in the prison population, they know it's one out of four, which is, you know, pretty high, but, you know, kind of expected. And they will quote numbers anywhere from 1% to 3% in the general population. But that number has really never been um, statistically proven um, so it was kind of extrapolated out of the prison population, which I'm not a statistician, so I'm not clear how they did that. Um, so I would probably guess it's probably a lot higher, um, just because the really good ones kind of will go under your radar. So I'd probably have to guess, and you look at the way the world's going, that it's probably a lot higher than 1% to 3%. It's kind of a misleading number, in my, my, my book at least. So do you think that it's growing like the percentage of psychopaths, or do you think it's just we're more aware of it? I think a couple things. I think we're more aware, aware of it. Um, now, narcissism is growing because that's kind of an attainable um, personality disorder, but psychopaths are either born or they're not. Um, but I think a lot of shows make people more aware of it, but almost in an off-balance way. For example, people um, imagine that all psychopaths are, are killers roaming in the alleys and that... You know, you're, you know, they see these TV shows where it, it's 
starts to give the appearance that, um, you know, they're lurking lurking around corners to get you. And the really good ones really aren't out to kill you. They're out to murder your soul, so to speak. So... Uh, how, how do we how do we distinguish what um, a psychopath is then? Well, Dr. Um, Gacono, who's the leading expert in analysis, uh, wrote the foreword to my book, and he pretty much laid it out. But I'll give you the simple version. The simple version is that they don't have a conscience, okay? And all psychopaths have narcissistic personality, but not all narcissistic personalities are psychopaths. So the real clear divider is that conscience, and that's something you're born with and you develop between the ages of three to five. So it's really a nature versus nurture aspect to it also. Um, like, for example, a psychopath who is going to end up in the prison system probably came from a lower means economically, um, social development, um, probably got the gene from one of the parents. And the ones who aren't going to end up in prison were nurtured. So they probably were raised by parents who spent a lot more time with them, worked on their development, and really taught them how to behave better because that's a skill they have to learn. You know, they have to mimic what we're all about so that they can, um, you know, so they can know how to know how to work the system. They're not born with the same way that we are. So, so you have to be born with it. You can't turn into a psychopath like like me in my 50s i can't tomorrow also wake up and be a psychopath no you could wake up and maybe behave badly okay right yeah <laughs> but, but, I, but no it, it, they, they've done brain studies so it is in the brain and they do know that much and so no it is it is not something that can be attained a, a non-psychopath would have a cutoff point, like somebody might say, I'd like to kill that person, but then you're not going to actively be up all night plotting how to do it and spend weeks in the process trying to get it done. So, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely not a developed skill. You know, although people may, you know, that, that's why I wrote the book, to figure out why do they, you know, what is their real thought process? I mean, how do they, how do they come up with some of this stuff and, and what's behind it all? Um, so, no, it, it's not an attainable skill level, thankfully. And now psychopaths don't always kill, do they? No, no. I would say that uh, I would say that the largest... I've always been more interested in what, what would be called the socialized psychopaths, okay? Those are people who blend into society, probably run large corporations, you know, could be your next-door neighbor. Um, the percentage of them, the real smart ones, probably won't ever kill because they're better than that and they they know of what the consequences would be um, now I'm not sure that being pushed to shove that it wouldn't enter their radar but typically um, no you know and that's where it gets all confused because people think of the Ted Bundy syndrome and you know the odds of somebody lurking around outside of my house and following me down some alley and being some deranged psychopathic serial killer is really pretty slim you're more likely to be killed by somebody or have a, somebody do you wrong if that psychopath is in your inner circle. Stranger danger really gets overplayed in the media. Yeah. Oh, so, so how do we determine then? Um, so you're saying that um, these psychopaths that you're been, you've been studying and looking into are the ones that learn to mimic so so when they're like at a funeral they really don't care they're bored but when they when they're around us they'll act like they care 
Yeah, yeah. Well, they have to learn, as they described it in my interviews, they have to learn what color and what all the buttons are, okay? They're not, as a matter of fact, it was interesting because two of the psychopaths I interviewed, um, they first started to notice their, um, their the difference in themselves and other people had to do around a death. And they quickly realized that their behavior and emotions um, were being watched because they weren't following and behaving like everybody else. So they started to stand out. So that became the first thing, actually the, the first self-awareness they had that they were different than other people. And so then they learned how to model that. That's why a lot of times if you watch a true crime show, which I kind of watched probably too many of, but... <laughs> You know, they're, they're kind of easy to pick out in the crowd because you'll see that if you watch a really good Dateline show or something, um, you know, they will, people will comment on their, their behavior. Like, you know, they'll be texting at a funeral. They'll be, you know, hooking up with their mistress, you know, a week after the funeral. They'll call the insurance company the day after the murder <laughs> to yeah. figure out when they're going to get paid. So if people are really paying attention, you can spot them. You can spot them. So that was my goal. I had I've had a, a victim support form for 18 years now. It was the first one online, and I really thought I'd heard it all from the victims, but never in the detail of how did it really happen. You know, that victims over the years would talk about things like I felt like I was going crazy, and he told me I was crazy. But really, the behind that was what I was the most interested in, was how does this, you know, perfectly normal person get engaged with somebody, you know, allow themselves to be isolated. So, yeah, it's it's a really different picture. You know, and like, for example, in a murder trial, I mean, you know, they will usually always take the stand <laughs> because, you know, after all, they're the smartest person in the room. That That's their view of wor the world. So... And it's about control. So I'm sure that their defense attorney probably really tried to wrestle with them to not take the stand, but they believe so strongly that they're so much smarter than everybody else that they'll do these kinds of behavioral things. Wow, that's, you know, and you're talking about that. Um, it's, it's, it's sort of like the movie Gaslight. Um, oh, know. my favorite movie. My yeah. favorite movie. Yeah, <laughs> my very was... favorite movie on earth, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and how he was trying to make uh, Ingrid... Bergman, you know, thinks she was nuts. Yeah, well, that's where the actual term came from. That ni 1944, I think, was that movie, and really everybody should watch that movie. Um, Charles Boyer is in it, and it is a fabulous movie. And that's where the term gaslight actually originated from. So how does someone fall for that? Like, I, I've seen that movie, and I see how they did it, but how, things were quite a bit more naive back then. Yeah. Um, I think they were anyway. Um, how how does someone fall for that now? And I don't even know if that's the right term because it's not like I'm trying to make them sound stupid for being with a psychopath. But how does that happen? Well, how it happens is is that they're very very good at um, analyzing people. For example, they'll they're very good listeners, and so they will be able to extract information out of you that they will be able to then later turn on you. Um, and isolation and control become part of the issue. Like that, let's say you're going along and you're a happy, successful person and you meet some guy on Match.com <laughs> or Christian Mingle, <laughs> and he just seems like everything, you know, everything you've always asked for. And what, what, what all three of them said, which is very true, is that they're minding you for information because they, they need to know where all your buttons are. 
And then the isolation process will start. They'll start kind of trying to get your friends out of the picture, get you a little bit more removed from your family. And it's, it's just a, it's, it sounds so bizarre that in the end, the victim is actually the one who gets the worst rap because people find it unbelievable that how did, you know, Susie down the block, who just has always seemed so normal and raised well and stuff, how does she end up in the end with this person? Well, it's, it's a process, and these people are very skilled at that process. And that, that's why I wanted to get behind the scenes of how does the process work? I mean, what, what do they say to you? Um, and usually it's, you know, it, it's something that it takes time. And remember, they have, they have time, and they put, they put the time into the work. And so it becomes a matter of you don't, you're slowly being driven kind of crazy, and then pretty soon people in your world will think you start to sound kind of crazy because, because <laughs> they think this guy seems like just the cat's meow to everybody else. So it's like, how could you possibly be thinking this way about it? So they're very good at turning, turning your friends and family against you, um, the victim, um, because they have a way of putting that outside persona. So it's, 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 a, it's a very process that they go through. And most of the victims over the years at my forum have been, you know, educated people who, um, you know, you probably would never suspect would get involved with somebody like that. And the number one thing they look for is kindness and generosity. They look for people who will look past those red flags. And then they have underneath that a lot of ways to dismantle those red flags. Like, for example, if you, you know, they, they drop the mask and, you know, blow up over something and you start to question them, they have a whole series of things that they'll use to convince you that that really wasn't reality, which is really what gaslighting is about. It's about rearranging your reality to fit theirs. So I'm just not, so now, you know, so some of those uh, serial killers that are out there and they yeah. have wives or people that uh, have been close to them, um, we always assume that the wife or the spouse, if it's a male, um, knows and knew about it. But that's not necessarily always true, is it? Well, I think it's about how deep that person would really want to come within their own conscience. I mean, there's probably a lot of denial there that, hey, I was sleeping next to a guy who was a serial killer all these years. But I think if you really, um, most of your better true crime books, like, um, Anne Rule and Jack Olson, which are now departed, but they wrote some very good books where they got into the family and the family background and the people that, you know, how they really viewed that person. And there's a lot of hiding. There's a lot of denial. There's a lot of um, they've accepted the behavior for so long that they really start to not see any way out. So I, I think they may act surprised, but I, I'm not really convinced that they are surprised. Um they they see things, but people try to brush things off. People try to paint a glow, glorious picture. And a lot of times in relationships, people will go back to the, be, the beginning times and think of the happy times and kind of just push off the behaviors that have started to emerge and just remember those first good days, you know, or the first good years or whatever. Mm. So, yeah, it does happen, but I think when people can finally reflect, they could actually see the patterns were there I mean, there's people that, like, for example, you see these stories and, you know, the wife gets murdered or the husband or whatever, and the friends will say, well, she told me that if I got murdered, it was probably him. Well, I mean, really? Um, <laughs> <laughs> then why are you still there? Yeah. 
<laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's not safe to still be in the same house with that person. So, you know, I, I you know, when you when you start to question somebody and you really think you're dealing with somebody evil, you know, the last place you should be announcing that divorce is in their presence and then continuing to be under the same roof. So if you if you've got to go to that level to start telling people, you know, if these things happen, you know, look at him or her. Um, you're in so deep that really you need to get out. You need a safe exit plan. So I think it's a lot of denial. The families don't want to admit that they raise a psychopath. The parents will try to paint a glorious picture. So unless you really get behind the scenes with that family, or on the other hand, you know, maybe they got the gene from that parent who's being interviewed and saying he was a swell kid. So, you know, if you really have to take a real hard look at, you know, denial, and, you know, they've accepted the behavior for a long time. They wished for the best, and it didn't work out that way. So another big term, like um, we hear psychopath a lot, and the other one we hear is sociopath, especially lately. Uh, what's really the difference? Well, um, Dr. Gacono and Caviso wrote probably the best um, differentiation, and it's, it's pretty technical, um, I can tell you what the general population thinks. Um, the general population seems to feel that sociopath is probably not going to be a killer. Um, and they see psychopath as more of a killer. Um, so it's really, society has kind of adopted these terms. Like, for example, when you hear a news story, they'll say, they, they might even use all three terms, psychopath, sociopath, narcissistic, all in the same, all in the same words. And it was interesting when I interviewed these guys, two of them felt that they were, they, they rejected the term psychopath because that made them feel more monster-like. Um, but one of them actually embraced the word psychopath. He felt like he was a lion and the rest of them were hyenas. So um, even in their own world, they tend to kind of differentiate. So people tend to think psychopath and sociopath are different, and really, it all boils down to that conscience and evil. That's it's really evil, is what it is. So, when you were going to write the book, how did you pick which people you would use? Like when you interviewed them. Well, I started to write the book about four times from a victim standpoint, and then I decided that there had to be another angle. And over the years, because of my form, I get contacted by psychopaths. And normally, well, all the time, they were always banned from my forum, you know, when they would try to register and come in and try to talk because clearly, you know, I made the victims very uncomfortable. Um, so what I did was one day I got contacted by one who was really a smart guy. Well, they were all very smart. And so then I would had a few others that had contacted me, and two of them had been formally diagnosed, and one of them was self-diagnosed. And so I, I had, I just had the idea. I thought, well, hey, wait a minute. Maybe I should write from this standpoint because no one really ever has. I mean, no one has really ever asked them these questions and trying to get to the truth. And so then I also decided that I would only interview them via email. Um, I didn't want to interview them via Skype, and I clearly didn't want to interview them if they were living in or close to me. Um, so you weren't going <laughs> to have them over for coffee? <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> no, and so um, I think all of them were probably in their close to 30 range, and they were it, actually the thing that really got to me was that the, I, I was actually kind of amazed at how willing to self-discover themselves they were. 
and then, then their level of self-awareness. So I basically found three, and I decided that I would do the three because then I would also have a checks and balance system. So I, and they were completely different locations. So I would be able to start to see the patterns better. And I thought, well, I'll just go with these three and see what I find from them. And then also, then if I find something that's interesting and could help people, because really it could be a roadmap to your future. I mean, if you if you know what the signs and what they're, the way that they behave, hopefully you can disengage quicker. And I've heard from a lot of people that said it helped me to reflect on, on my last relationship. And it took me out of that loon bin thinking that this wasn't all my fault. I mean, I really was just a player in a this, in this sick person's game. So, yeah, it, it was a matter of trying to, I, I, and people can become re-victimized because they're still nice and kind people. So it, it, a new one will show up. And I found that pattern over the years with victims. They meet a new one. Um, and they thought it was different than the last one. So I felt like if I got them to really talk to me, that they would be able to express things that would be keys and kind of like a roadmap for people. And interestingly enough, they were very interested in talking. Uh, one of them talked so much that I ended up with, God, I think about 80,000 words with him. Um, so <laughs> he was really into the talking. Um, and the other two were more... Um, more scheduled they would you know I would ask them questions and it was fascinating because you know there were a lot of questions that they kind of had rattled around in my mind for a very long time like gaslighting um, and that was very interesting because none of them had knew what the term was but they went off and clearly googled it and um, <laughs> they <laughs> they came back with an amazing response it was like yeah that's like the number one thing in my toolkit um, so yeah they they basically um, I, I'm sure that they learned a lot through it but I learned even more so it was kind of making a deal that I had to be open with them because they were being open with me and it really gave me an insight into their thought process because I'd ask a question and they would come back the first part of the answer, and that's why. I, and I thought translating it, me taking notes and interviewing on the phone and stuff, would, would lose part of what uh, would have lost a whole lot of it, um, because they would start off on one train of thought. Okay, like, well, yeah, that was really a bad deal, and um, then they would continue talking and saying, well, yeah, but you know, the odds are I could have gotten caught if I would have done that. So they, the first part of their conversation and, and the answer to my questions would be probably more like what you would see as a as a person in their life. But then as they started talking, the veil would come back. You know, it would start to draw back the veil on, you know, what what, what all of this really meant to them. Um, like, for example, one of them, which I, I was kind of like, <laughs> I mean, and the other thing is I didn't want them to have access to my emotions because that's what they feed off of. They absolutely read you. They can see by, you know, how you react to things. And I didn't want them to then start changing things around because of my reaction. I wanted to be in a place where, you know, I could have my gasping moments and my startled moments and not have them ever see that that was how I was responding to things. Um, for example, one of them actually gives drugs, you know, antidepressants and mood stabilizers to his victims. And that, to me, was like, I like this. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm sitting in the morning and I'm having my coffee 
And I'm reading this, and I actually just let out a gasp. And then this, and I'm not a nervous laugher. I like to laugh. Okay, I, my family has a good sense of humor. But um, I let out such a weird laugh that my dogs actually ran in the room. Yeah. Because <laughs> it, was, it was like, and I had to talk to a couple of friends of mine about it. I set up the scenario. I didn't tell them exactly why I was asking. And it was interesting because they all had that nervous laugh. And and I don't usually have a nervous laugh. I mean, and I don't have a passive-aggressive attitude, but I don't have a nervous laugh. But I was, like, so startled. So when I asked one of the other ones, hey, would you would you give drugs to victims? And he started off with, I said, you know, one of my people I'm interviewing does. And he started off with, oh, that's deplorable. Why would you do something like that? And, you know, then it boils down to, well, you know, they could end up in the hospital and get a blood test and all the tracks lead back to me. So, you know, the deplorable part quickly dissolved into the really the why, because he was probably a little bit smarter than the other one and he could see the chemical trail. It had nothing to do with, like me, if I said that's deplorable and found it upsetting, I would stick with that emotion. It wouldn't shift into, well, yeah, but maybe I might get caught. Um, so, yeah, so they just had very different um, different reactions. So I wanted to keep myself out of the middle of the reactions, and I wanted to keep keep them from trying to read me. And I just didn't let them bait me, you know, because you can Google anybody, you know, like one day they were just talking about the weather here. Well, you know, okay, I got it. You Googled me. You know where I live, okay? But I just would never respond. Um if it was off the track, I just let it, I just let them just keep talking. Um, so they really at times got a little befuddled because they couldn't feed back off of my emotions because I wasn't letting them see my emotions. Like I didn't I didn't write the guy back and say, Oh my God, you gave them drugs? That is so evil. I just said, oh, well, that's interesting. How long did it take? I knew about how long it would take for them to take effect. So I just said, oh, that's interesting. Um, how, how long did it take? So I was kind of testing him. He says, it comes right back a little, about three weeks. I well, yeah, okay. Um, so I, I purposely kept myself out of the middle of the scenario. It's like and, Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> yeah, it, it actually, the writing part was my best idea because it they wove through the truth once they got past the first part of what would have been an acceptable response. Then they got into the real reason for that response. Um, so, yeah, so it was... Um, it was it was interesting, um, and I, I, at one point I got a little bit overwhelmed, um, you know, because I was interviewing three of them at a time, um, and one of them was just constantly, constantly talking. I mean, to the point that, and while he was talking, I was there just to, you know, read and answer back. So I mean, I was up to all hours. Uh, if you want to keep talking? I'll keep recording it. Um, so. Yeah, they they both they all had different responses to things, but all their responses were the same. If you know what I mean. Yeah. So do they? They have one. Um, they all have the same traits or mo about how they do things. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. And then the the main mo is control. Have to have control. Um, and that's when they lose it. Is when they lose control. One of them actually, if a relationship ended up badly where he wasn't in control. He would actually circle back to that person, re-engage them, and then dump them and break their heart so that he was able to win. So it's, it's really, it all is about control, every bit of it. 
and and so have they the ability to love then or have emotion like real emotion or is it all sort of put on oh it's all put on it's a hundred percent put on um they'll never love you and that's the other thing that i was hoping readers would come to the conclusion if you're been involved with one and you know, maybe the next time you'll, you won't answer the phone. Um, and they laid out things very simply. I mean, they, they actually came up with some comments that, you know, made, you know, that made a startling amount of sense. Um, maybe they, one of them said something about, well, maybe she shouldn't have picked up the phone. Um, it's like, well, yeah, probably true. Um, so, no, they all had the same patterns. They all had the same behaviors. So they all have the same desire to control. And it has to go in their way. And they'll figure it out a way. So are they they the bad kids in school? Like you say, it starts something three to five years old. So when they're not necessarily no, they could be the model student in school. Um, It depends on how good they are. It depends on how educated and nurturing their parents are. They could be the classmate that everybody looks back as as having been just the swell guy. Um, So no, they they could actually be the more popular people in school. they don't think of you like you think of them, but they actually, um, that they're so clever in learning how to fit in and mold into society that no, they don't end up um, being somebody that people in general don't like. They generally end up being somebody who everybody likes. And so the narcissist part, now, now you were saying how one, one can be with, like a narcissist doesn't always become a psychopath. No, you can't become one. You're born one. Right. Yeah. But a nar- narcissism is, is on the rise. I was reading a study the other day. Narcissism is on the rise. All you have to really think of is selfie sticks. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so uh, you know, the Kardashian-era narcissism, um, the vine to be on reality TV shows, that's where you can see the exploding level of narcissism. But it, it, it's an entirely different, it, they're not going to go on to become psychopaths. So how do you determine the difference? Like when when someone is narcissist and they've got that um, displayed ego, I guess you would say, or whatever they've got going on, how do you know that they're not a psycho? Like I'm trying to figure out how you would pick out something. Well, I think that you have to pay attention. And the number one thing that victims said over the years was that when the red flags started showing, they rushed in and painted them white. So when you start to when they start they'll start to press your limits of what you, what you'll find is acceptable behavior, um, and so it's a matter of paying attention. And I think you really, if you pay attention to your instincts, that that'll start to lead you down the best path ever, because you'll start to see these things, and instead of excusing them or hearing excuses to excuse them, the best thing to do is to start to really pay attention to how they're behaving in general. Um, are they really sincere or is it an act? They move in quickly and they, they know how to move in quickly. And you have really provided them with all the ammunition to move in the hardest. Um, you know, those people will talk about, you know, God, this person was the best listener on earth. Well, you know, they all said, how do I figure out the, key, the, the code to your, uh, your, your vault if I don't know the numbers? Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So, you know, of course, they've got to be engaging. Otherwise, they've got to get you to talk because otherwise they won't know how to manipulate you. So, you know, I... I'm not a paranoid person, but I'm a very cautious person with people. Um, and it would take a lot to get into my world because once these behaviors start to develop, I wouldn't let kindness and um, but but they also have a lot of a lot of tricks that they use when those moments happen. For example, let's say you get in this big fight and they unmask. Okay, I don't know if you've ever seen anybody unmask, but it's a horrifying experience when the eyes get black. It's like looking into the eyes of the devil. Um, they have a, a list of things that they will tell you. Uh, the number one thing is, well, I was abused as a child. That's a really good one, okay? Because, you know, what kind of kind, caring person is going to not give the guy some slack? Um, you know, the next day they meekly apologize and say, you know, I really didn't mean to say all those awful things to you and stuff, and you don't understand me. It's because I have this horrible past, and everybody in their past seems to have done something horrible to them. So that, that's how they can then lure you back in because really if they've lured you in because you're a nice, kind, caring person, you know, what are you going to do at that point? They start telling you how they were abused and all these little secrets start to trickle out and a caring person will accept that person back into the fold. Now, that's where you probably should take another look um, when you see a lot of excused behavior. And another sign is, is that they are always, and I mean always, the biggest victim in the room, okay? No one is a better at playing a victim than they are, which is interesting because they're the ones victimizing people. So they, the, the victim fallback position is the number one spot they'll go to. Well, you don't understand me. You weren't there when my father was beating me and my mother was so terrible and 
the, my last job, everybody was horrible to me. And, well, you know, there were reasons why these things happened, but not anything you're going to hear that's going to be truthful. But a, a victim is something that most kind, empathetic people will fall right into line with because we have empathy. So, you know, God, the guy's had a lot of rough knocks and, you know, the family, his family doesn't talk to them. I mean, they, they set all these things up. So then you stop asking questions about, gee, why doesn't anybody in your family talk to you? Or, you know, why, why, why have you had all these bad relationships? And why has every job had some demon at the helm that got rid of you? Um, so they use that as a key part of their tool is playing the victim because they're looking for a type. They're looking for an empathetic person. So and do, do they know that they're doing this then? You're, you're saying they know. Yeah, I, I was actually, to me, that was one of the more interesting things that I found out was I was actually uh, kind of, not kind of, I, I was very amazed at their ability of self-reflection. And the reason for their self-reflection was to become better at what they do. So they could take situations and take a look at it and think, well, I, I didn't manipulate this person properly, so I, I need to change this to do it better the next time. And that was really, let's face it, the reason they contacted me was because they they wanted somebody to talk to um, and explore some of the things that they, their, their thought processes. Um, to really, their goal is the smarter ones, they want to get better at what they do. They just want to get better. Did you, did one of them? Did any of them scare you? Sort of like. Uh, no, I, I, I've got pretty good boundaries. Um, you, you, and they kind of startled me at times. Um, but no, I, I never got the feeling someone was going to show up at my doorstep. I mean, I, I had a friend. Who, <laughs> I had a friend who was like, "Well, maybe you should write under a pen name." And I thought, well, that kind of you know diminishes what I'm doing because it starts to sound kind of shaky. Um, but no, you know, I've got pretty good boundaries. Like I watch a lot of crime shows and stuff, but I pretty much stop the last hour of the evening before bed. And I, I've always had pretty good boundaries as far as stuff like that. So no, I, I don't get the, never got the idea that anybody was out to get me. They tried to trick me. Right. Um, and, but I, I just went along with it. It's just, you know, I never got argumentative. I kept my questions to the point and, um, I just didn't, and, and I know that, that frustrated them at times because for the first time they were not in control and they, did, they couldn't access my own emotions because I wasn't showing any of them. You know, I would just say, well, that's interesting. Um, and I, I wouldn't get any kind of big, it, I, I never wanted to make it about me. I wanted to use more of a journalistic approach. So I just didn't let them get to me. But no, I never, I never felt frightened by them. Um, how do they I interact with each other then? Like, you know, you're saying how they, um, so I'm a psychopath, and I'm I'm looking for you know I'm playing a victim. I'm I'm looking at drawing people in, uh, finding out what makes them tick. But how do two psychopaths uh, react to each other? Well, that was one of the questions in my book that I asked them was, um, do you know other psychopaths? And yeah, they do. Um, they could identify some in their life. One of them was. Um, this guy Bill, who was works in some sort of government agency, and um, he talked a little bit about um, because they of, of the way that they maneuver information. I think it's a little bit hard for them to pick each other out, but they but they do try to pick each other out because they know that if they go to battle over, let's say, a job or something, 
they need to know who their opponent is. So they do identify each other, um, but I don't think that necessarily packs of them are, are attracted to each other per se. Um, because so they, don't, that they really... don't have a Facebook play, page or group. <laughs> <laughs> well, they do. I mean, there's some. There's a couple, a couple forum places where they, you know, I, I think it may be just a bunch of kids messing around and trying to sound tough or something. But um, yeah, they do. And some of them have, um, you know, written stories about themselves. And I got a couple of links from a journalist friend who said he might want to check out this forum. And it's like, no, they're just a bunch of kids kind of joking around. And some of them. Probably out of that group, there's probably a few real ones in there. Um, but they'd be the last people you'd want to have in a group because they'd be too busy manipulating everybody else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just crazy. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. Did you get startled by any of them? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. you did, but I mean, was there something in particular that really shocked you, I guess, um, like you didn't expect? Well, the drugs, the drugs was the the prescription drugs was the the, the thing that I least expected. Um, and I actually talked to a psychiatrist friend of mine about that, and he had the equally shocked expression. Um, and he said, "Well, do you think many of them do this?" And I said, "Well, I don't know because, like he stated, they give them out these days like candy." So I really don't know. But that that was probably the most shocking part. That the rest of it. I was thoroughly intrigued by reading carefully through their words and how they describe things. So I was probably more intrigued and interested than I was shocked. Um, I'm not really a real shockable kind of a person, um, I, or you know, I don't have issues with anger or people. So I will usually move away from any kind of confrontation. So I, I would say that people reading my book have written to me and said they were shocked. Um, um, one woman, I was kind of like looking, trying to get reviews on Amazon, and one woman, the heading was um, "Don't read this book" or something like that. And then I saw it was a five-star review, and she said because it was the creepiest thing she'd ever read. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it's creepy. Okay, when you read their words, it's probably creepy more than shocking. Now it might be shocking to people who realize more about who they had been involved with um, because coming to grips with, yeah, that guy really was a psychopath, that really wasn't my imagination, might be more shocking to them. Um, but it's more chilling. Like one of my beta readers said, you know, I really, I started to read this at night, but then I decided that I probably should read it more during the daytime. So it's not creepy in the fact of like people getting murdered, or anything, but their words are creepy. When you read their words, they're just creepy. So these people were not in jail, were they? No, and probably never would be. Um, no, no. I, I, I thought about that, but you know, everybody's you know inmates would be like. I, I have. Um, I, 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 I'm more interested in the ones who will never be imprisoned, who are out there, because my feeling is is that a really good in society psychopath will probably damage more people in their lifetime than the most prolific serial killer. So I've always been more interested in those that aren't incarcerated because they're a lot um, on, a, on a higher level, as far as so to speak, if that term sounds okay. Right. Um, they're, they're, le they're, they're too clever in a lot of ways to probably ever get caught at what they do. And they will probably resort to murder with pen versus murder with gun. Right. So now you interviewed three males. Do you find that it's more males than females? 
You know, that's an interesting question because people will say one to three are males and they have this other number that women are real lower. I'm not really sure that I agree with that. I think women probably um, can be craftier and probably people don't want to think of women as possibly being that. So, you know, statistically, I don't think anybody really knows, but they always cite that women are lower. But I've had several people at my forum who were engaged with female psychopaths. I've certainly watched enough crime shows where the um, the perp in the situation was a female. Um, I think that women just probably fly under the radar a little bit better than men might. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, it, it's hard to <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe they get away with it more. Yeah, exactly. If you think of abuse, okay, I have known of people, certainly not my friends, but I have known people who were beaten by their wives or significant others, okay? Yeah. Men don't admit stuff like that. Um, men are basically shunned. You know, they, they think, how could a six-foot-tall guy get, you know, beaten by his five-foot-tall wife who, you know, bakes cookies and goes to the PTA meetings? So men are really... In the level of victims, men probably get the worst shaft when they're dealing with a woman psychopath because, really, it's unbelievable for people to believe that this woman could have done all these things. So I think women get a lot of passes in life. I think women are just as probably likely to be a psychopath as a male. And nobody's really studied it, but that's just my, my guess. Do they ever show their cards? Like, do they let people... Um... Uh, no, I can, that's not really the right term. But you know, do they kind of let let their let their um, feelings be known about being a psychopath? Yeah, you know, that was the part that had been rattling around my brain for years. Because over the years, victims would say things like, "He told me he had a really dark side. He was evil," and and you know, the response was never, "I left immediately." Okay, there's a response was, you know, he's had a bad life. It had to have been he wasn't serious and and these guys actually talked about that it's like they will tell people hey you know i really am evil and stuff and the response is usually a laugh and a you know pat on the arm um so when they do tell people that they tell you these things is pay attention because it's probably it's probably not a joke but see they've gotten you lured in by that point but really i mean think about it al i mean if somebody you know, roll over in bed one day after a few years of relationship or even a few months and said, you know, I'm really evil, I've got a dark past and stuff. Personally, with good boundaries, I don't think I would laugh and just go, ha, 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 But, you know, amazingly, they all um, tell people stuff like that. And when I asked them about, we got in a conversation about the eyes because, you know, the eyes are the mirror of the soul. That's what I believe. And if you've ever seen somebody unmasked, it's a, it's a horrible experience. It's just evil. Um, and they really didn't know. All they could tell me was what people had said when that happened, that they were scary evil and these kinds of things. And see, there's where, there's where you get into the boundaries again. Because really, if you've got good boundaries and you get in an argument with somebody and you see evil, okay, you know it's evil, because you bring it up the next day and talk about that encounter you had, why do you let that stuff pass? Really, I mean, you really have to think about why. Why would you ever let that kind of behavior be excused? But that's what makes them so good, is a lot of people do. Yeah. And that's what really keeps them in business. Well, people don't want to change their lives sometimes. I think they're set up. You know, they've got they've got a house, a job, a, you know, a spouse that's a psycho and a kid. And... <laughs> 
all of a sudden yeah. it's tough to just I, and that's denial I think too well and also really by that point they've gotten you pretty well isolated um, you're not only in denial but your brains have been rattled around enough like Ingrid Bergman in the Gaslight movie that you're not you're not really any longer functioning like the person you were when they first met you so it's not to be brushed off lightly because it happens to a lot of people and they they don't see it until they're so many years in and they, they, there are even cases where a person will seek therapy and the therapist might turn against that person in favor of the psychopath so there's a lot of denial going around the whole circle you know your friends will question you know how could you be leaving this great person um, because that's the view that they see and they're very good at masking the behind the things. So it becomes highly complex, highly, highly complex, um, just socially and economically, but mainly socially more than anything. Because, any, you know, in this country you can find an abuse shelter and probably get in, um, but there's a lot tied up to it. You know, he may be the pillar of the society. You know, they use those things as ways to mask who they really are. You know, they're the guy who's out there coaching the football team and stuff. So... You know, how, how do you really explain to your friends what he's like behind the scenes? Well, it's it's hard, it's complicated, and you start to sound crazier and crazier and crazier. Uh, is there any fix for for a psychopath? Like, uh, is there a way of getting better? Well, they they strive to get better, and that their self reflectiveness is what kind of um, amazed me the most, as far as um, their wanting and. Also, one of them showed a lot of frustration in that, you know, we come with these skills and they've got to learn them. So here we go, victim, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I believe that the ones who rise to the top of the corporate chain want to get better to be able to manipulate and control, not to get better so that they can join the church choir. So they, <laughs> um, <laughs> they want to get better for very different reasons like most of us you know would want to get better by going to maybe therapy and getting counseling and working on boundary issues uh, they want to get better so they can pull better better maneuvers so I, I well I guess I shouldn't generalize but I would say if you're really good at business uh, you might be a psychopath <laughs> well yeah you actually um, in a way, I believe that society rewards that kind of behavior because they will be able to do things that most people with a conscience wouldn't be able to do. For example, if you're the head of a big company and you've got to lay off a whole bunch of employees and stuff, a psychopath is your guy for the job because uh, they won't have any problem bending the rules. They won't have any problems in how they get rid of people. They won't. They won't blink to disseminate somebody's family life at the flash of a hand to, to please the shareholders. So that they, you know, they have to have control. So, yeah, they, they actually um, would be the kind of personality that, unfortunately, probably a lot of top corporations would really be looking for to have the organization because the emotions are out of it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty strange. Now, you say in your... Um uh, little uh, in the intro part about three normal psychopaths. W what do you mean by that term, normal psychopath? Yeah, I thought about that wording, and as a writer, I think that I need to take that out because it oh. makes them sound like they're good people. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, for me, it made me think. Well, there's a normal pattern to psychopaths. That's yeah, how yeah. I was thinking. Yeah. So it's uh, funny you would bring that up because I was looking at that copy the other day, and I thought, you know, this makes them look like they, you know. These are the right good ones. 
it kind of it diminishes the actual evil behind it. Um, I think what we were trying to express, which certainly I'll be rushing and changing the copy this afternoon on, is that, <laughs> is that there are probably people sitting next to you um, who appear normal. Right. Uh, but they're not normal. Um, they breathe the same air. They They act like they're normal. They act like they're everybody's ideal person. But they're they're as far from normal as you can get. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. I, I thought I thought something like that, but I wanted to make sure. You know, uh, I, I just interviewed um, the prosecutor Juan Martinez for the Jody Arias trial. Oh, I think he was great. That, I, I, like, I was recovering from a triple ankle fracture, so I was I was on that show. I mean, I was yeah. watching that cover now, to cover. Now she is a psychopath. Or uh, something like oh, that. Oh yeah. You know? Oh yeah. I mean, and yeah. even even when I interviewed uh, uh, Nermi, Kirk Nermi, her defense attorney, who tried to get off the case. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she was. She run the case. She wanted to to testify, and it, it kind of comes to what you were saying: how they're in control, and she's going to go up there because she's smarter than everybody else and testify. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that she really would. She really uh, was playing Juan Martinez for all she could and trying to get him going. Um, and yeah. I, I saw an interview he did where he, he kept that breath going because he wasn't going to let her get to him. Um, Nervy I had different feelings about. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, she took the stand, and those were glorious moments for her. Um, why do you think most of these people in prison get married? Um, they really um, have such a self-wrapped up in themselves that yeah she he, he must have been a very interesting interview because i thought really saw him as a good guy in that whole trial oh totally yeah it was it was um uh, very interesting it was interesting to hear um his approach and and uh but he he was able to handle her because she she tried everything she was very um you know she would uh forget things and say it was because you're being like my abusive boyfriend, you know? Yeah, yeah, victim, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean, she was very, very quick on her feet. Yeah, and, you know, and there were some key things there, too. You know, like when she um, said, had the pictures that she showed him, I think the first night when she showed up at the place, um, that came up actually on Twitter or something, and people retweeted it to Juan Martinez because, um, you know, if she was allegedly not planning on going there, why would you have pictures to review with him? Yeah. Um, see, there's a hundred ways to commit a crime, but there's a hundred and five ways that they're going to be able to catch you. Um, yeah. yeah. If yeah. they pay attention. But yeah, she was always the victim, and that poor family really took the hit. But see, that shows you the level of what victimhood will go to. Um, she was that victim, and she, you know, I think that got, poor guy was set up, you know, obviously. Yeah. And it, it shows the pattern and how they manipulate people into that victim role. She was always a victim to everything. Everything. Yeah, and that, 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 that you, do you think things like that should be televised? Do you think that promotes it? No, I think that people should, it is a public um, forum. I think that all this stuff should be televised because I think that we as the public, um, it's kind of like how we've kind of lost control over the police situation in some states. Um, they feel like if somebody looks at them the wrong way, a handgun is a solution. Um, and they've lost the feeling that they're public servants, and I believe the courts are our public view into the world. So, yes, I very much am in favor of publicizing um, trials. Um, it, it, I think it's our right as citizens mm -hmm. to be able to look into that. Yeah. I just wonder if um, 
uh, and even with um, again with Nermi and uh, and with Martinez, I was wondering how it affected them because when you start doing a trial that becomes public, then all of a sudden press is outside of your door every single day. They're talking about what you wear, what your hair's like, um, and I, I, I got to think that's going to affect you in your performance. Well, I don't. I really. I, I think in the OJ case, I mean, clearly the judge there affected his performance. Um, you know, and you know. Well, even Marsha Clark. I mean, they're throwing around yeah. nude, nude pictures of her, right, and stuff. I mean, how? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you, you remember that um, lady who testified for Nermi uh, from the abuse center? That woman. She really got taken over the coals with the social media as far as people death threats and people bombing her um, yeah. book that she's written and all that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, we're in the day and age that hurling around insults and mean comments are more the norm than looking for the good. So, but, you know, I think that, you know, if you're being asked to testify at a trial where somebody is clearly a psychopath and you're going to testify for the defense, I think, you know, I would use some caution. But I do believe that everybody has a right to a fair trial. But, you know, know, anybody can drag in a witness, I mean, really, because that woman knew nothing, really. But, um, yeah, she really got taken over the coals. I didn't see that, you know, people went after Martinez for signing some autographs or whatever, and I didn't see any of that in him. Uh, You know, he just happened to be out there, and it was some woman who had traveled a long ways and had a cane. You know, it wasn't a big deal. (laughs) But but people, people will take little tiny things and make it into a huge ordeal. Yeah, yeah. You know, they yeah. won't they won't like this and they won't like that. Is that is back like when I first got involved on online forums during the Jean Benet Ramsey case, um, there were a couple of meetups of people who were little true crime people like myself who were all it was one of the first active forums about the big murder, so it was a real who done it. And people, you know, it was interesting because some of the most vicious people it was at the Denver Post forum who were generally not liked by most people when people's comments after they met them, they were talking about how nice they were. So I think people behave outrageously behind their keyboards mm-hmm. that they might not in person. <laughs> yeah, um. <laughs> I think it's a whole new learning process, you know. That, yeah, we're in a new media. Yeah. So you have to be able to, and I, I kind of went through a little bit of that insecurity myself because no one's really written from the angle that I've written from. So I went through a lot of insecurities at first, thinking, will they like me? Will they like what I did? Um, and so, so Believe me, for, you can't win. <laughs> yeah, I no know. matter so, what. Yeah, it's like I hate those glasses she's wearing. You yeah, know? She, she looks too old. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, I kind of had to you know, go back to my own sense of boundaries and say, hey, I have a message that I want to get out there that I truly believe will be able to help people. Um, and be ready for that, and it's just the new society that we're involved in. So, yeah, that was Juan Martinez, and then really took a big hit from all directions. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, maybe hopefully to social media, maybe it helps them to think, if, if, you're, if you're smart, you're watching social media. Back when I worked in high tech, they all had huge departments that did nothing but watch for watch competition and whatnot. Yeah. So to me, it's just kind of like the old days where it was done more discreetly, um, because there wasn't Twitter and everything, but you know it's it's watching your competition, um, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and and if enough people say the same bad thing over and over again, maybe instead of discounting it, you should pay attention to it. You know, maybe I do wear the wrong color glasses. You know, five hundred <laughs> people. <laughs> well, you know, I I can only go so far. You know, because you can get into that, and then you start. That's what I mean. And then you start focusing on it. So. Um, I'd rather not. I'll just wear the wrong glasses. <laughs> yeah, I, 
too. I do too. You know, I, I'm I'm of the nature that I'm not out looking for problems with other people, and I I, I, I try to think and think in terms of kindness before I open my mouth. Hmm. Uh, there's nothing to be gained by running somebody down. But you know, it's amazing that the social media thing actually plays into the psychopath thing because. I personally think the internet is like the best invention for psychopaths on earth. Oh yeah, it's all the information's <laughs> on, on your hands and all the people well, and well, all the people that you can write and boast to, and all the people that you can maneuver, all the people that you can have multiple relationships online, all the ways you can hide things. I mean, it it, it really is like um, steroids for psychopaths um, because yeah. it. Provide, it provides that platform. But I don't think people making all the nasty comments are psychopaths, but I think that the psychopath would probably be making the nice comments because, remember, they're luring you in. <laughs> There's always that fishing pole out. So. Yeah. So. <laughs> wow, it's been, a, it's been a great hour. I love this. Um, now, what's your contact information for people so if some psychopaths want to call you? or <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Or pick up um, your book, you know. Yeah, well, the book is available on Amazon, and it's, it's, my name is Diane with two N's, Emerson, and it's Psychopaths in Our Lives, my interviews, and I would appreciate if you read it and like it to leave me some feedback. Uh, you can always learn, you know, one way, one way of feedback or not, and my forum is psychopath-research.com, and my email is diane at psychopath-research.com. But I will advise people that I personally um, try to stay out of the advice business um, when it comes to if you have a story and you like to talk, your best place. My form kind of went dormant the last couple of years because I was rather distracted with this book. So, you know, there's lots of data there. There's lots of victim stories. Um, there's lots of stuff to read. Um, I'm trying to get it reactivated again with the discussion part because really I was just way, way, way involved. You know, there's a lot to a book, editing, writing, everything else. So um, I don't tend to offer people advice or diagnosis because I'm really not able to. And I find that people, people interchanging with other people in the same situation is a more powerful tool. That's why I encourage people to write because a lot of people over the years have discovered things by writing their story down there because you 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 look at things differently. It's just why journaling is a good idea, um, which I've always failed miserably at. But it's, if you write about your situation, you'll you'll see it in a whole new light. It's almost like self therapy. Hmm. So I find that people are better off to um, join each other in. Um, talking about their situation and seeing that they're really, they, they all walk away feeling like they were crazy. Um, so it's a very relieving kind of a thing to work through the process, talk about it with others, and to realize that you're really not crazy. It really wasn't you. It's just <laughs> it's a fork in the road that went the wrong way. the way it goes. Well, Diane, thank you very much for taking the time to talk. Well, thank you, Al. It's really been a pleasure speaking with you, and I will look forward to you. If you have any more questions or you want to have a show about evil or anything, I'm, I'm your gal. Great. show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of the Z-Talk Radio Network. I'll be back. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. 